The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this morning, so we've been exploring this theme of a multidimensional nature of the Dharma practice, Dharma practice path. And yesterday, I shared this story from Gil's book, A Monastery Within, about um, how this 30-year-old man who was overwhelmed by his family life, uh, particularly the two children's, and wanted to escape to the monastery uh, to find a relief. But the abbot sent him out back out after a seven-day solitary retreat. And the abbot sent him back out to his family and uh, told him that um, his family um, is his best teacher. That's where he'll find spiritual strength and freedom. And so today, um, we'll continue a bit uh, in this dimension, in this theme. And today, and this uh, character in the story is not someone who was trying to escape uh, from the monastery. In fact, the person knows having a really good time in the mon- monastery. But Abbas decided again to send him out um, because that's his monastery. That's where his monastery is. And so I'm going to read this story. And then I'll offer some reflections. The brilliant monk, a young man once came to the monastery to ordain as a monk. He had been raised in relatively fortunate circumstances with easy access to education, capable, smart, and friendly. He succeeded in most everything he set his mind to, deeply reflective about life. He had studied the teachings of the major religions. In his early 20s, he decided not to follow the customary path of marriage and a career, leaving behind the life he had known. He ordained at the age of 22 and applied himself to the meditation and training the uh, training the monastery provided. Disciplined, intent, and intelligent. He made quick progress in the spiritual practice. Monks and nuns who had been there for years were in awe of how quickly he settled into deep meditation. Within three months of entering the monastery, he experienced his first taste of enlightenment. Immediately, the abbess grabbed the young monk, dragged him out the front gate without explanation, kicked him out of the monastery. Um, 
Later, addressing the residents of the monastery, the abbess explained, the new monk's realization was genuine, and I'm quite happy for him. However, in order for him to mature further along the path of liberation, he has to return to the world to experience more of the difficulties and sufferings of life, to understand all the corners of his own heart. He has to grapple with issues of livelihood, family, and community life. Furthermore, I expect that someday he will be a great teacher, but for this to happen, he has to understand all these issues so that he can have greater compassion and insight into the lives of his students. For this particular monk, this is not going to happen in the monastery. This abbess is a pretty dramatic. <laughs> um, and reading this story, I was asking myself, you know, what is a great fortune? Hard to say, right? This brilliant monk, um, a smooth, a fast track was quite nice, you know, quite nice for a while. And all the life fortunes, quite nice for a while. Yet the Dharma is much bigger, broader, richer, and deeper. And so having a deep meditative experiences and uh, knowledge is great. I don't want to dismiss any of that. Yet, as the story says, to understand all the corners of his own heart, he has to grapple with the issues of livelihood, family, and the communities. And so for me, what it's pointing at is that the liberation happens when the maturity of the whole being, the holistic being, ripens. And so there's no such a thing as a kind of a conditional liberation. You're only liberated if your neighbor's bar dogs stop barking <laughs> or when you live in a constant 70 degree temperature room or when you can have, you know, what your favorite food once every five days. And so liberation is not conditioned. Now, whatever the conditions that we kind of hope that they have to be. And so in this way, maybe all of us are fortunate enough that we're practicing Dharma with 
good enough conditions in this world. Maybe having a livelihood, a family, and communities to grapple with. And this is the monastery where we can um, engage in a way that is strengthen our heart and mind. And so today in particular, I wanted to maybe say a few words about practicing in the relational field. And so this monk in a rather secluded monastery may not have had a chance to deal with wider range of kind of relational field. And so for me, I can definitely say that practicing in the relational field, whether it's in the family, in local communities, or in Dharma communities, have been so rewarding. And the very fact that we're here together in this virtual way, we're creating a virtual community As a social beings, so we're living in the relational field. We always influence each other and being influenced by each other. And so practicing in this relational dyna- dynamic has many, many benefits. And so for me, I definitely would not have been able to practice without the support of a communities. We mirror each other, and we're mirrored back by each other. And so right now, and just knowing your presence uh, right here in this global field that we're co-creating, so uplifting, so inspiring. And so in this way, we're kind of, our practice is a collective path. Even while each of us have a unique unfolding, but this collective path is unfolding right here in this relational field. And when we're practicing in the relational field, it also offers um, great opportunities for us to work with the challenges that come along. And we get to open the corners of our heart that are otherwise may not be touched. Now, as soon as we engage in the relational field, uh, the communities will have, will meet differences, disagreements, likes and dislikes, preferences, like this yesterday's story where the 30-year-old man having a very hard time to accept his older son's behavior and consider them as unacceptable. unacceptable. And the story didn't make it a very detailed elaboration about what the behavior uh, behaviors might be. 
how many times we are considering other people's behavior unacceptable because we had a fixed views on something. It's not necessarily that they're doing anything harmful. They're just different. I remember for a while when my son was young and he loves to eat with his hands. And I had this idea that it's not clean. But the Buddha ate with his hands. There's still billions of people on this planet eating with their hands. (laughs) Is that unacceptable? I had to change my own view on this. And so how can we live with the differences without harboring ill will, anger, hatred, aversion? How can we live with the differences while still being in harmony with each other? And this is certainly not easy to do. Yet it's such a worthy dimension of the practice to open up to. When we become more and more skillful in our relational world, relational fields, the benefit will ripple out into the world at large. It's such a beneficial force for the world at large. So may the collective practicing force that we're engaged in together bring benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for your attention and deep bows to your practice and to your engagement. And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everyone.